0: Everyday ordinary people living extraordinary lives. For the next few minutes, join me as I introduce you to some of them.
1: For me, the results have to be about jobs so that we're impacting the economy and that
0: there are benefits, again, for the community. I'm B. Moore, and welcome to 52 Conversations. In Central New York, there have been numerous attempts to harness the power of minority-owned businesses. I recently sat and talked shop with the leader of our area's newest chamber of commerce to learn more about his organization.
1: So I am Ricky Brown, executive director of the Upstate Minority Economic Alliance. I am also principal owner of Diversify New York, LLC. We are a state-certified certification assistance entity.
0: Thank you, Ricky, for being with me on 52 Conversations. I want to start this conversation because I know that you've been newly appointed as the Executive Director of UMEA. So tell me a little bit about the Upstate Minority Economic Alliance, better known as UMEA. Yes. um, The Upstate Minority
1: Economic Alliance is a chamber of commerce. We are an affiliate of Center State CEO in Syracuse, New York, headquartered here in Syracuse, New York. My territory is uh, about 16 counties and we cover um, as far north as Watertown and as far south as Broome County and we go as far west as uh, Buffalo and as far east as Albany. In terms of a chamber, we operate much in the sense of a traditional chamber except we primarily advocate for minority uh, and minority professionals. Uh, As such, in um, my first three months, We've accomplished quite a bit in terms of uh, turning around some of the economics and the economic um, optics of the region. I think um, we're certainly, as an organization, poised to take on some of the challenges that we see here locally uh, in terms of the economy. So, again, in terms of a traditional uh, chamber, we operate much like a traditional chamber, uh, but we advocate strongly on behalf of minority and minority professionals in the area.
0: Okay. Okay. Now, you mentioned the diamond um, in terms of your geographic scope. So tell me about some of the nuances in terms of the differences between Watertown and Buffalo, Albany, and Binghamton. Um, Very distinct differences between
1: all of those uh, communities. As many of us are familiar with the Rust Belt, the term Rust Belt, and uh, typically it refers to cities that are along the thruway and that have had some manufacturing flight in and out of uh, those communities and have left some abandoned factories and such. As I was out in Binghamton, New York yesterday, uh, rode around that community, um, and as much as I see challenges here in Syracuse as the number one impoverished city in the United States, the challenges that I saw in Binghamton, New York, were equal, if not more, than some of the issues that I have seen in Syracuse, in terms of the poverty uh, epidemic. So, uh, community wise, I think we all face many of the same challenges, especially here in New York, where things are a bit uh, more difficult as far as the economy is concerned, property taxes and the like. Uh, certainly, the cost of living here has affected a lot, and the absence of Opportunities in many of those communities. So I see similar um, situations in many of those communities, although they do have their own distinct characteristics of each one. Uh, So, for example, Syracuse may be number one in the nation in poverty. Uh, However, we have seen so much new political activity and energy around here. I I think within the next uh, five years or so, we're definitely poised to be off of that list. You
0: know, because Syracuse has the highest level among those poverty statistics, we know that Syracuse has the highest level of concentrated poverty among African Americans and Latinos. And these are, at least in Syracuse, your two populations that you're serving through you, Mia. What's at stake? For us, what's at stake is the continuation of
1: the wealth gap between the haves and the have-nots. If we do not... Step in uh, to mitigate the current circumstances. We will continue down that perilous road of poverty, and where we increase poverty here instead of addressing some of the numbers. So, what's at stake for us is huge, uh, uh, is for the African American and Latino community, but for the the community in general. When you don't have all participants of the community participating in that economy, you cannot have a healthy economy. It's very difficult to attract outside investment. It's very difficult to attract uh, companies from outside. For example, I just worked on a project to pitch for Amazon, bringing Amazon in, but very difficult to sell uh, to an Amazon to move into your community when schools are underfunded, uh, neighborhoods are uh, dilapidated and deteriorating, and there's not money for infrastructure uh, within the city to support those. I want to be clear about the distinction of that poverty figure and so that we absolutely understand what we're talking about those numbers are specifically for black and brown folks um so what that says is you otherwise have a otherwise healthy economy except two distinct classes of folks are not participating in that economy and that is black and brown folks and so what we have is an unequal distribution of wealth in this community and umia serves as a mechanism Uh, to provide some equilibrium towards the distribution of resources in the area so that the have-nots are participating in
0: the economy as well. One of the participating partners in this project I know has been Center State CEO. And if you would, talk a little bit about their participation and why they felt it was necessary and important to get on board with this project.
1: Yes. Historically, we had uh, what was known here as the Metropolitan Development Agency, uh, which was a prelude to what we have as Center State CEO. Unfortunately, there were some historic imbalances in terms of that agency. Uh, There were issues with transparency in terms of the distribution of resources in those firms. Um, And Center State, being keenly aware of that, uh, had an opportunity uh, two or three years ago to sit down with some very influential members of the community and to come up and devise a plan uh, to address uh, some of those issues. That gave birth to our chamber which is the Upstate Minority Economic Alliance and Center State has been a great partner in coming to the table with us to make sure that there is inclusiveness around the distribution of those resources Uh, but not only that really serving as a mentor Uh, Of sorts, as far as uh, uh, a chamber is concerned and making sure we're in the requisite rooms, we have the requisite connections around the table and so on. I think uh, many people may not know that Center State is actually, uh, if not the top, regional economic development uh, council in New York. And so we draw funds into this area through Center State at, I believe, five times the rate of any other regional economic development council. So to recognize the ability to partner with someone uh, with that strength was critical for us as an organization, uh, and we're very happy that Center State has, uh, has welcomed us with full and open arms.
0: Wonderful and I know that there's been funders at the table and that they've participated in helping in terms of being able to at least get things up and going, so.
1: Absolutely. Um, one of the things that I think successes that we can point out to as a community, in February, this issue had come to a head and we made some noise about the transparency of the REDC funds, uh, walked into Southwest Community Center at the time with three very capable uh, minority-owned businesses, and declared that we were ready to invest in our neighborhood and that we needed resources to be able to do that. Um, The result of that was there were $15.1 million in consolidated funding applications that were completed uh, by 100% minority-owned businesses we have just uh, found out that one of those projects uh, or the totality of uh, awards for those projects totaled around 1.1 million and so those were folks in our community who put forth projects that ordinarily uh, they may not have considered, or previously had considered, and and did not complete the application. But to Center States credit, they made sure all the technical assistance was there for us to complete those applications. The end result was, uh, again, we have a million dollars invested into our neighborhoods that otherwise would not have been uh, would not have been there. And that was in the first three months that they had in there. So terrific
0: partnership. Very nice. Very nice. So in addition to partnering or identifying funding sources and, and funding opportunities, tell me a little bit about your approach in terms of fostering entrepreneurship in each of these communities that you're working with. Certainly. Well, our goal is to build
1: up entrepreneurship um, in these communities. As I said, lack of resources, lack of opportunity uh, for many. There are so many challenges within Uh, our community specifically uh, from incarceration rates and so on and so we've identified a number of barriers and obstacles um, to successful entrepreneurship and having programs developed uh, with some of our partners Center State and the like Jubilee Homes uh, many other we're able to cultivate programming that addresses directly what those barriers and obstacles are Uh, for many for example access to capital is the primary concern and the primary uh, barrier for those businesses to get in. Uh, So the Upstart program provides us a training opportunity to have those entrepreneurs come in. We come in and train them on how to do a business plan. They work with uh, certified technical assistance providers, but at the end of there, they get access to that capital. At the end, um, for me, the results have to be about jobs so that we're impacting the economy and that there are benefits, again, for the community. If we're working inside of any of those programs, it's important that we walk away with something tangible. I think too often we've developed work train programs and so on and so forth that don't necessarily translate into benefits
0: for our community. Okay. Tell us, in addition to what you've just described, some of the resources that entrepreneurs or businesses that's already operating or have, existing <clears throat> variety, yes, existing businesses yeah. have access to?
1: Uh, I think that's one of, you know, from a cultural standpoint, uh, it's interesting for me to oversee this organization, of course, uh, lifelong resident of Syracuse or near lifelong resident. And to find out the amount of resources that are available in this community was absolutely stunning to me that didn't always translate into availability into my neighborhood. That did not always translate into transparency with a lot of the programs into my neighborhood. And so I think from my standpoint, my job essentially is is to provide uh, or to become a conduit uh, into those programming. So the Wise Business Center here for Women Entrepreneurs, SSIC, SBA, Uh, Jubilee Homes, there are so many resources within the community. Again, the translation for many folks in my community is not knowing that those programs exist. Uh, So we'll do a better job of cultivating relationships with those agencies that provide those services and to disseminate that information so that we have higher rates of entrepreneurship. Uh, The thing in particular for me where I would love to see the poverty statistics affected in this community are, if we had more folks working, more folks capable of buying property within the city. Uh, currently, we stand at only 40% of the taxpayers in the city are homeowners. Uh, so if we can increase that home ownership rate, which actually affects uh, the rate at which your education system is funded, anyone that lives in this community and is not affected by the fact that we send school children to school in a virtual war zone every day and expect anything other than what we're getting out of that system. We send them to school in a war zone. We send them to school hungry. We expect them to walk home in that war zone. And then we're expecting a product other than what we're getting at a 60% graduation rate.
0: We have failed our children. And it's time that we stepped up. On that note, we just had an election. So Ben Walsh has been elected as the new mayor of Syracuse. What will you be Uh, Particularly from your vantage point as um, executive director of New Mayor, what will you be looking towards him for? What's your expectations? Uh, I think that we
1: are fortunate enough to be in a situation where we have an economic development specialist that's just been elected to mayor. I think of anyone in that position, you need to firmly understand the economics of Syracuse in particular. The challenges behind uh, development, if you will, in Syracuse, Uh, it hasn't always been equitable. So I think if anyone has a keen perception on what that is, it would be uh, Mr. Walsh. I think he has done a significant job of cultivating relationships within the community, of finding out what those needs and challenges are within the community. I, for one, am extremely excited about the next five years. I've made a bold prediction on record already, and that is that Syracuse will not, within five years, we will not be in the top five cities. How (laughs) close we will be to to uh, knocking that off, I don't know, but I'm looking forward to getting to work with this administration. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting work with Center State
0: uh, and everyone else in this community to remove that blemish, that black eye. Can't have it. Okay. And if you're just joining us, this is 52 Conversations. I'm your host, B. Moore, and our guest today is Ricky Brown, who is Executive Director of the Upstate Minority Economic Alliance, better known as UMEA. Ricky, what does it take uh, to be a successful entrepreneur in today's economy? Well, th- that's twofold. If you're asking me what it takes
1: to be a successful entrepreneur, like in any economy, it's going to take hard work, dedication, it's going to take you getting a thousand no's and so on, where I have particular expertise in what it would take to be a minority entrepreneur. Uh, and those are distinct challenges uh, within themselves. For many uh, is understanding the generational and the cultural differences again from our businesses and and others. So for example, understanding the lack of access to capital for our businesses. Um, a black owned firm or minority owned firm with an equally good credit rating as a qualified white firm would not receive the same, uh, lending practices. So we have to understand uh, how to navigate that as entrepreneurs. As a chamber, certainly from an advocacy standpoint, we certainly stand to be at the forefront of any of those issues. Last week, I had an opportunity for the first time, and I felt that this was the the crowning moment of my profession, if you will. I had a chance to enter into an agreement, a previously existing agreement, with a financial institution. Uh, and that financial institution was relegated to making loans within our community. However, upon reviewing the data that was supplied to me, I was uncomfortable uh, with the numbers that were presented. And so they wanted to reenter into the agreement. And for the first time, I understood the power and my position and the voice to be able to say no to that offer because there were no benefits included in that agreement for my community. And that was a powerful moment for me to realize, wait a minute, someone sat in this seat before, maybe, right, and may not have gone and given the diligence or the thought process to how this impacts the other community. And now I'm just so honored and humbled to be at the table to provide that perspective, to be able to push back in that perspective, and just to be able to, again, make sure that there was some equal distribution of resources in our community.
0: Nice. I'm going to make a prediction that maybe not the crowning achievement. I think that's yet to be determined. It It may not get there, right? (laughs) But I think that's going to come. Thank you, Brian. I certainly appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. What advice would you give to minority entrepreneurs? Um.
1: A lot. I'm going to take off and put on a a personal hat here and talk about, we talked about some of the challenges here. We, for one, live in New York State. Uh, We live in a state that has a program, the Minority and Women-Owned Business Enterprise uh, Certification Program. Uh, 30% of contracts in New York State are delegated to Minority and Women-Owned Business Enterprises. And in my time and experience of working with those businesses, one of the biggest obstacles uh, we discovered was not enough firms are certified to compete for those contracting opportunities. So there are over $8 billion, $8.8 billion in contracting opportunities in the state of New York. Over $2.2 billion were awarded to just minority and women-owned business enterprises. 14.7% went to women-owned businesses and about uh, 12.7% went to minority male-owned companies. If I were to encourage any firms to go out seeking opportunities, it would be one, to increase your opportunity to compete by making sure that you are certified. Uh, One of the reasons why we're not more competitive on the federal uh, and the state level quite simply boils down to the fact that we don't have enough qualified firms that are certified to compete in those arenas. So as we look at I-81, huge impending project, transformational for the community. Much of that project will be designated as DBE or Disadvantaged Business Enterprise Certification. If we fail to prepare for that project in time for the project, not when the shovels get in the ground where the certification still takes you a year to get certified, you need to be certified a year ahead of the project so that we can make sure that we're participating in a $1.5 billion to $3 billion project ahead of time. So that advice is to always be prepared to understand the challenges that you're facing when you're competing at this level of business, but to make sure you're always putting your best foot forward. The other thing that I've found with us as minority businesses, the more I've
0: relied on minority businesses to help me succeed, the better I've done. Well, I think that that's great advice, and as a minority business... More about you. Yeah, <laughs> we'll definitely be taking that advice as well. Well, we'd certainly look
1: forward to more about you joining our chamber. I, I certainly think that there, there are some needs within our chamber, especially for our young entrepreneurs. The ability to be able to tell a story as we conversed about in the beginning of here uh... is paramount to those businesses success and the fact that we have someone in our community that can provide that service again this is what UMEA is all about is identifying those sources within our community making sure that our other minority entrepreneurs know that we have that resource within the community and making sure that we utilize them if we can circulate those dollars within our community
0: again we'd have a much more robust economy Thank you, thank you for that, Ricky. I appreciate it. You know, we've talked a lot about Yumia, but we haven't talked too much about Ricky. So I want to talk about Ricky mm-hmm. for a minute. Tell us a little bit about your journey, because I know that not only did you talk the talk, but you walk the walk. So tell us a little bit about how you got to become the executive director of Yumia.
1: Um, interesting story. The long and the short, I bring it down to two words: Sharon Owens. This community in particular is so lucky to have some of the community leaders that we have. Um, my path was not determined uh, for me. I am a finance major. I majored in finance from Syracuse University, had always envisioned sort of uh, the fast-paced life of working Wall Street and so on. I happened to be pulled into not-for-profit. Um, Sharon Owens is a great community leader, gave me an opportunity at an organization called Home Headquarters where... She began to mentor me unsolicited. I didn't know I was being taught, uh, but she kind of just pulled me under the wing. She doesn't remember half of these conversations, but I remember her dragging me to meetings, you know, and they were pretty high-profile meetings. I didn't understand why I was there. uh, So I asked her one, you know, why are you making me come? And she's, you know, one day you're going to understand. You'll know. And uh, shortly thereafter, she left to take a job in the city of Syracuse, and I preceded her. And from that journey, I really, I think I began to find myself spiritually. I found an awakening in the fact that, uh, one, I happen to be a finance major, right? So I'm a math nerd. So looking at numbers sort of always intrigued, but these numbers began to stand out to me. And the more they began to stand out, the angrier I became when I looked at the numbers. Um, I gave the example a few minutes back of the bank that walked in and said, hey, we do 50% of our lending to minorities. The other part of that statistic is, who do you loan the other 50% to? So if you loaned 50% to every single brown person in your community, and that was the total, and then the other 50% went to just one group, that's an issue, right? And so the statistics can be very uh, deceiving depending on how you present them. So that became a challenge to me. I began to challenge every statistic that I heard in this community And then it became a fight of being an economic warrior. Just, no, it's not going to happen anymore. I'm extremely offended by the poverty statistic. Uh, One, as a statistics major, because I understand it is impossible to arrive at that figure without systematic influence. The only way you arrive at that figure is with help. And so the only way that we will get away from that figure is with help as well uh... statistically speaking again it is impossible to reach that number without some systematic influence so until we address the issues within that system that are affecting those numbers those numbers will never change and that's part of my position as executive director of the upstate minority economic alliance is to challenge It's to make sure that we are in roles and positions around this community uh... that are watching the bottom line of the economy and making sure there again there's equal uh, distribution of wealth. Uh, the Alliance for Economic Inclusion uh, is also a committee that um, i very happy to have been appointed to by the mayor uh, of Syracuse. And that was all the result of folks watching me out in the community passionately as just a citizen saying, no more. Uh, and that drew some attention, which actually led to this position, but I think folks understood at that point that there's somebody in this community that understands exactly what's going on with the economy, and someone's watching. So that's Ricky. Okay. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Is there anything that you'd like to add? No, just primarily, again, we're a new chamber. establishing ourselves. Uh, We've got some tremendous partners that have come on board from Center State to Pathfinder, It's very imperative for us as a community and as an organization that we establish a a robust presence, not only for ourselves as an organization, but for the regional presence of our businesses as well. Our ultimate goal is to make sure that we build capacity within those minority businesses here, but that we increase their stature. The world needs to know that we are open for business in central New York. Lastly, the one thing that I want to say is we... As an organization, and myself in particular, am very tired of the poverty tag. And so the perspective that we approach everything from as an organization is prosperity. The opposite of concentrated poverty is concentrated wealth. And so too often we have looked at the pool of concentrated poverty. The Upstate Minority Economic Alliance is approaching from a different perspective, and we're looking at concentrated wealth. How do we redistribute that wealth uh, within one community? And for us, how do we harness the wealth that's within our own community by working together as minority and women-owned businesses and supporting each other within that chamber? That,
0: to me, is an ultimate win. You just triggered my mind about a report that was done a number of years ago. I don't know if you remember it. City-states, I believe, they were looking at uh, the distribution of, of resources and Even though we have these poverty statistics that exist, the minority community was actually kind of leading in terms of consuming. Mm -hmm. But the wealth was going outside of the community as opposed to staying within the community. And that's that's uh, unfortunately,
1: that is a a true cultural marker uh, of our culture in particular, the black culture in particular. Um, One of the things that we did when I first took over, and I'm so encouraged by the new shift in consciousness that we have in Syracuse. So for folks to understand, we just elected an independent mayor, only the second time in history in over 100 years. What many folks don't realize is that was a cultural shift that was led by the young brown people in this community that said no more. Your parties will play us no more. We understand. And so that culture shift for me is an entire awakening across spectrums. We are now at the table economically. We are at the table professionally. We have social capital. We have political capital. We are here to challenge, again, the status quo of what previously existed. And this new leadership will not accept (laughs) what's happened in the past. That is a that's a challenge. But that's also just a promise. We, we won't accept what's been given to us in the past.
0: Well, Ricky, I, I'd like to thank you for being on 52 Conversations. And, I, and that being said, I, I wish you the best. I wish you well in your endeavor. I know that you have a tough challenge, but I think you're up for it. Mr. Moore, I want
1: to say thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciated you stopping in looking forward to connecting with you and certain you'll be in front of our uh, our members soon and certainly looking forward to utilizing this platform we'll be in touch soon and looking forward to the next podcast
0: if you are interested in learning more about UMEA or are a minority owned business interested in joining you can contact Ricky Brown at 315-470-1975 that's 315-470-1975 52 Conversations is a production of More About You. Join us next time. Perhaps you have a story you'd like to share. If so,
1: contact More About You at 315-863-2466.